Good morning. Wake. Four of you. Good. We'll go. We'll work with that. Work with that. So when I was um, a little boy, ah, ten or eleven years old, my my parents left me in charge of my little brother, who I did not like. He was seven years younger than me, you know, and so he really ruined the deal I had. You know, being an only child is awesome, and so anyway, I was mad at him for it. I still am, actually. Um, But anyway, so he came along, and so uh, you know how it is when you're the older sibling, you get to take care of your younger siblings a lot, and so uh, they had to run this quick little errand, and I was playing in the the side area, we lived in this housing complex, you know, and, and I, my job, they were leaving, said, this is your brother, make sure not to lose him. <laughs> Guess what happened? <laughs> yeah, I lost him. <laughs> my mom, next thing I know, I'm playing with my friends, and my mom's head comes around the corner, and she goes, where's Jason? And that's my brother's name, and I'm, anyway, I'm not going to make any comments about the name Jason, because there's too many Jasons in here. But everyone I've ever known has been a little mischievous, so I'm just saying. So anyway, so where's Jason? And when she said that, I realized I hadn't actually watched my brother. <laughs> and, and then I got scared because I really was okay losing my brother. I just didn't want to be in trouble with my mom, you know. And uh, so anyway, I, um, <laughs> I was, we lived, it was a pretty big housing complex. And my brother, he was, uh, you know, three or four at the time. And he had wandered off. And basically, he had just gone on a walk, you know. And he was walking around the complex. And I remember I'm on my bike rest, racing around that complex trying to find my little brother. And I'm crying, saying, God, if you help me find my brother, I'll go in the ministry. <sighs> and uh, crying out to Jesus, you know. And so... He was found, eh, you know, whatever it is it is, you know. He didn't even know he was lost. He was just on a walk. He was having a great time, you know. I was panicked because I was going to be in trouble. My parents were panicked because they loved him, and, uh, which I never understood. But anyway, sibling relationships are always fun, you know. Sometimes uh, we get lost and we don't know it in life. Sometimes, uh, you know, we're just doing our thing, you know, we're, we're having fun. Other people are panicking, but we're having a kick. And, and then, but there's always this wake-up moment. Uh, down south, they call them those come-to-Jesus meetings. Those, there's always a day where you, you realize, oh, how did I get here? <laughs> and where is here, <laughs> you know? So this series that we're starting this Sunday and going to do through the month of June is called Finding Your Way Back to God. We're going we're gonna to look at four statements that are in our lives, they're there because God, God put them there, and they're there because they are statements that are a string back to God. But they're also statements that if you follow them the wrong way, they'll lead you away from God. And that's what happens in our world is we begin to ask these questions that God put in our lives to bring us close, but we get a hold of them, we start chasing them the wrong way, and we can end up, at least in our understanding, like we're farther away from God. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe there was a time in your life you felt like you were close to God. I've talked to a lot of people over the years that would tell me like, man, when I was a child and a teenager, I mean, I really got God. I really understood him. And then then early adulthood and middle-aged life, you get, sometimes it feels like you're losing him, you're wandering from him, and maybe you don't even know how that happens or why that happens. And, and how do you get back to a, a place where you, you, you feel like you and God are on the same page, that you're together? You know, and some of you here may not really be very religious at all. And, and I can really identify with you because, believe it or not, I'm actually not a very religious person. I'm, I'm a very relational person only because of the work God's done in my life. Without that, I would have been a hermit, I mean, if it were up to me and and if I hadn't found this amazing lady over here who keeps me from becoming that. But, but because of Jesus, I realize that life is relationships. And deep ones are more important than quantity, by the way, but that's for another message. And so uh, maybe you need that. So the four questions we're going to look at in this series are, today we're going to talk about there's got to be something more, or is there more? Next week we'll talk about, I just wish I could start over. After that, the third week, we'll talk about how I can't do it on my own. And then the last week, we'll talk about anxiety and how I can't shake this feeling. So today, let's talk about if there is something more. And I guess, let me also preface this whole series with this statement. Getting back to God is not only possible, it's what God wants for you. He wants you back with him. So it's not an if question. 
Really, it's not an if. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Man, when your heart's all in, God will show up for you. You go on a journey to find God. You are going to find God. He's going to meet you there, and you're going to find out that he's so much closer than you ever thought. Okay? Now, let's talk about today's message, which is there's, there's got to be something more. So I used to be, not really so much anymore, I don't mean this is an offense, but I used to be in my teens and, and early 20s, I used to be a Stephen King fan. You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. I'm not saying you should read Stephen King. I'm just saying that's what I used to be. But he has this short story I love called The Mist, and I still enjoy the story. It's a really creepy, eerie story and so forth. And so about, because uh, I'm a creepy guy, but anyway, but about, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15, 10 years ago, I guess, uh, Frank Durabont made a movie of the short story. Now, if any of you guys have ever read his, anybody, any, if any of you guys are readers in the room, you know Hollywood typically ruins the book, right? I mean, just any readers in the house, like, ah, you're like, in fact, sometimes you're like, oh, they, they turned my favorite book into a movie. I'm not going to go see it. I don't want them to break it for me. That's, I was kind of that way about Lord of the Rings because that was one of my favorite book series as a young adult. But anyway, so The Mist is one of my favorite short stories. And uh, so but the, the movie was like, like 99.4% of the movie went right along with the book. I was so happy. And then the ending was the most brutal, horrific ending you could ever put on a movie. It just made me, ang- it really did. It made me angry. I was like, I am never watching this again. They've ruined the story. Sometimes life, you have this expectation of what it's going to be. Sometimes faith, you know, you, especially if you're a Bible-based Christian, you get this expectation because really when you read the Bible, it expands what you know is possible in this life, what God can do and what God wants to do. And then what happens is sometimes we come along and someone else superimposes in the story or limits the story. And, and I have, throughout my own life, have said it. I have sat alongside and talked with Christians who've said it, who've got to a place where they're dissatisfied, they're disappointed. They're like, really? Is this all there is? Because so many people turn real spiritual relationship into a to-do list, into a way you dress, into places you go, and people you hang out with. They turn, one of the things that's most offensive to me is when somebody takes the Bible and turns it into a life of rules. That offends me. Because that book is, it's not a rule book. There are rules in it. There are laws in it and truths in it and principles in it. But that book is about relationship. And it's real and living and breathing. And so maybe that's happened in your life. You've got to a point, and maybe you're here today and you've been out of church for a while or been out of religious anything for a while because you're like, if this is all there is, I got better things to do. And if that's where you are, then that's, that's what we're talking about today, that there is more. And not only is there more, there's always more. This, this God thing is endless. It's awesome. It never stops. It always gets better. Now, you may go through some valleys to top the next hill, but the hills are always higher, and life is always sweeter in relationship with God, okay? So you with me? All right, yeah, let's get going then, okay. So we're gonna look at three things today that kind of bring us to that place, is there more? Three questions we often think about. One, we're all looking for love. Two, we all want our life to have meaning. And, and three, then there's that, what about the, the big questions in life? We all wanna know why, and particularly why bad things happen, particularly to good people. We're okay with them happening to bad people, but we don't want them to happen to good people, right? So those things have a real simple questions we think about, we talk about all the time. How do we use those questions? How does God want those questions to work in our life to pull us back to him? So let's talk about the love thing, love. And I know all the guys are sitting there going, oh man, love again. He keeps talking about love. You know, I, I, there's just such an unhealthy view of love in America today. It's just so, 
the love that you see and the love that everyone thinks they understand is just so romantic in nature. And there is a romantic love, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. But that's not the only kind of love. And if that's the only kind of love that you want to experience, that's really shallow. And I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just saying, man, romantic love is great, but it has a purpose. And that purpose is to move you from self-love into actually sacrificially loving someone else. And so love is a powerful thing. My father fought in the Vietnam War, and he did it out of love. He loved his country, loved his family, loved the future. That He loved giving this world a, making this world a safer place for us. He did that all of love, but he went and fought a war. He fought for love. Uh, marriage, to me, I think one of the most powerful things in a marriage as a husband, and this is just my opinion, so take it for what you want to, but I, I think one of the biggest honors I get to do as a husband is fight for my wife. Now, I don't take that wrong. I don't go out and just punch people randomly for her. <laughs> Although I would for cheesecake, but I mean, I would... No, I'm just, just, a, just a really bad joke. But um, I'm just saying, I learned, I've learned over the years that when there is something that hurts her, that's, that hurts, that hurts in her story, that's painful, that is a call for me as a warrior of my father to stand up and fight for her. There are a lot of ways to fight, man. There are a lot of ways to love. And so when God gives us, uh, we, we have this thing in us where we just need to be loved. We need to be loved by, we, we need horizontal love. I guess we need to love people around us to love us. All of us need that. I mean, we, we, we live for it, even if we don't act like we do. I, I see the most shy and reserved of people do things to just get attention from people. They don't even know they're doing it just because they want to be loved and they want to be appreciated because God made it that way. You know, in the Garden of Eden, God created everything. He said it's good. He put Adam in that garden, and at first, Adam was alone. And Adam was, he gave Adam a couple jobs. He had him name all the animals. I don't know where Adam got some of the names. Where did platypus come from? Anyone? <laughs> and of all the things that are beautiful and majestic that fly, why did the insect get the name? You know, I don't know what's wrong with that. But anyway, so, he's, but Adam does all these things in the Garden of Eden, and God looks at Adam, who's there alone, and God says, you know, it is not good for Adam to be alone. All those things that God had put Adam through were so that Adam would realize he was really not good alone. And I think every man's room, if you haven't, you will eventually come to a place where you realize, I'm not that great by myself. I'm not saying God calls everyone to be married. He may not call everyone into marriage. Some of you may have a, Paul called it a gift of singleness, and that's for another sermon topic. Uh, but some of you may have that. But the point is we need people in our lives who love us and who that we can give love. And that is from God. That's not just, you're not just weird. You're not just needy. We, we just, we need to be loved. Does that make sense? So allow yourself that. That's okay. All right? Also, you need, uh, you need different kinds of love. I mean, we need masculine love and we need feminine love. There's a lot of uh, psychology. Counseling today is talking a lot about the father wound and the mother wound in people's lives. I mean, and, and the declaration is, or the understanding is, is that every human being has those two wounds. Whether you had a great mom and dad, or, or you didn't, or they were absent or, or checked out, what have you, you still take wounds from them no matter what they are. And it's, it's not even them, it's just that we're in a fallen and a corrupt world. We need those, we need that kind of love in our life. And a lot of the confusion that's going on in our world today is simply because we're not getting love from both of those. We're not getting a masculine demonstration of real warrior, kingly love, and we're not getting a feminine demonstration of nurturing, queenly love. We're, and we need both of those. We need them. God made us to need them. But that's horizontal. There's also, and, and, and this I think can precede the, the, the horizontal love, and that's the vertical love. We need to know God loves us. One of the things that really breaks my heart as a pastor today is to just talk to so many people who feel like God is mad at them. They just live under this weight that they can never make God happy. 
And that is an Old Testament weight, by the way. That's a, a weight of the law. That, that inability to please God has been fulfilled and met in Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. I read a story a couple weeks ago about this woman who was an atheist. And uh, in her blog article, she, she made the statement. She said, when I get really down, she says, I tell myself God loves me. Which is interesting, considering I don't believe God exists. Actually, what I tell myself is that God is in love with me. Isn't that fascinating? Ladies, I don't know if you've ever read Song of Solomon, but if you ever really need to connect with God's love, you should read Song of Solomon. Uh, guys, you should read it too. It might help you love your wife and things, but maybe you should read some psalms, some of those warrior psalms about David, connect with that masculine side of things. It's kind of funny how God made us and saved us. Because everybody in this room is going home a son of God, a son of God. And everyone in this room is going home a bride of Christ. That's a believer. So all of us are sons and all of us are brides. And, and that's how it's going to work in the end. So I know that's, they may stretch you out, but the point is that God loves you. He loves you in both of those ways. And, and the Bible says in John, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. And 1 John 4, 10 says that this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Let me give you one more verse, Romans 5, 5, and let me elaborate on it a little bit. We need love, and God says this in Romans 5, 5, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Think about this. He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Some of you in this room are sitting here and you're feeling very isolated in life. Some of you are feeling like you're on the outside looking in on everything that you're involved with, even your own families. Feel like you're giving and sacrificing and laying down and you still feel like an outsider in your own home. Some of you feel like that no one can actually really love you, that only you've, you've been abused and hurt so much in this life that everyone in life is really just out to use you, and so you can't trust anybody anymore. There are a lot of wounds in this room right now that are preventing you from experiencing love and even more so preventing you from trusting any love that you might experience. But if you, and when you become a child of God... When you move from a place of unbelief to belief, from a place of being on the throne of your life to putting Christ on the throne of your life, you move into a place where God's Holy Spirit moves in you. That is a spirit of love. There are times you struggle feeling loved. And so you drive to work or you sit at home in the dark or whatever it is and you get depressed and you climb down into that darkness and, and that funk. And if it sounds like I've been there, it's because I have. And you climb down in that and you, say, and you say to yourself and you echo this to yourself and it's not even you. It's the echoes of hell. It really is the pit of darkness screaming in that echo chamber of your brain just throwing these lousy ideas at you. You're alone. Nobody loves you. You have every reason to be afraid. It's never going to work out. You're always going to be alone. No one's ever going to think you are worth it or you are beautiful. And that is all lies. It's not true. Because there's a spirit in you that is God, that is Holy Spirit, that is Jesus Christ. And in you, when you take into those moments, you need to climb out of the darkness and into a light. And rather than let the echo chamber reign, you need to listen to the deeper sound of God's Holy Spirit that says to you over and over and over, I love you. I care about you. I adore you. You're important to me. You are my princess. You are my king. You are my warrior. I died for you. God loves you. And I don't know how to connect you with that love. I asked God to help me this morning to find a way for him through his spirit to connect you with the fact that he loves you and how significant that is, how masculine that is, how feminine that is, how beautiful it is, how complete 
it is. And if we could take time, I, I, I believe one of our greatest, one of our great enemies, there are many, is this busyness. Do you have the same problem I do? Like you look at your calendar for the week and you're like, oh, I have three empty spots. I better fill them up. Do you do that? I can do dishes here, laundry there. I can go visit this. I'm, I'm so glad that you have full lives. A full life is a beautiful thing and it's a gift from God. But there needs to save a little space in there. And actually, there needs to become a priority space in there that is God's. That is like, at this time, this hour, this day, I'm just going to be loved and love my Father. I know that for some of you, you're like, I don't know how to do that. It's okay. No one really knows how to be loved until they are loved. And then when you are loved, you begin to realize how wonderful it is to be loved. Your father's love is coming at you all the time. Sometimes we just need to stop or we need to take a drive or we need to go out into the desert and get some peace and just be loved. God loves you. He's proven it on the, cal- on the cross of Calvary. He's proven it in that his spirit is in you. Anytime you want to experience love, all you have to do is stop and connect with that Holy Spirit. By the way, that's why we worship as a church. That's the point of worship, is to connect God's people with their Father so they can connect with his love. It's not about singing songs. It's about connecting with our Father. Amen? All of us need to know if we need, if, that we are loved. Second, we need to know that our lives matter. How many of you, like five, six years old, you, had a, you knew what you were going to be? When you grew up, like, how many of you want to be a fireman at five? Okay, just me. Okay, thanks, Don. I appreciate it. How many of you want to be a dinosaur at five? Okay, <laughs> I knew that. She wanted to be a T Rex. I can tell. Stood in front of the mirror with little arms. Anyway, so God put us on this planet to want to do something, to matter. Have you thought about that? I mean, I know, man, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, especially with this negative, pessimistic view of the world, to look at this world that's over 7 billion people now and think that, I mean, you kind of can easily, if you get sucked into the evolution mindset, evolutionary mindsets and so forth, it's kind of easy to start thinking, oh, they're just people like any other critter on the planet, and they don't really have any purpose. But that is not true. Every person that's here is someone who's here because God wanted them here. They have purpose. They have something that they could contribute. And so do you. Your life is on this planet to make a difference, to matter. Your life is is here to matter. I mean, there were at least 100 million chances at you. And you were the one that came out. You were the one that was born. God wanted you here. And he has a purpose for you. One of my favorite verses is in Jeremiah 1.5. In fact, it's my, my life verse. It's, it was the one that God gave me when he was calling, into, calling me into the ministry at a very young age. But it, out of the message, it says this in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Now, that's a word of God. Yes, it was to a prophet named Jeremiah specifically. But it's also a word that we can claim today that we can live in and realize God has something for us to do. And I'll give you another scripture, a New Testament scripture in a minute just to to confirm that for you. So God has holy plans for your life. You're not a cosmic accident. The creator of the universe said that you should be here. Your life matters. Now, so we have this urge to matter. You know, we start from a young age wanting to be something, wanting to do something significant. But then there's a problem. This again is another string, another rope back to God. I want my life to matter. Well, how is that life going to matter? Because without God, it won't matter. Without moving in the things that God has for you, without living according to his holy plans for you, you could could do amazing things in this life. You could be famous, you could be wealthy, and all those things will come to nothing because they weren't God's plans. Only God's plan lasts forever. 
Only God's plan matters. I know that's a strong statement, especially when you think about it. But only God's plan matters. Ted Turner was being interviewed for, no, he was, he was on a stage giving a speech for Success Magazine. He was like man of the year. As he's on the reception, they're, they're giving him all the accolades for all the things he'd done. And in his speech, you know, he accepted all that with classic hum, humanistic pride. And then he looked up at the ceiling of the place. And he made this statement which tells you so much about why he was trying to succeed in the way he was. He looked up at the ceiling of the place and said, is that enough, Dad? Do you know what that means? That means everything he did, he did trying to validate himself in a place that his father never did. That's the dad wound. That's the father wound that many men are operating under today and many daughters are operating under today. They'll never be enough for someone that that, that can't give them what they need. So if you try and go about this life trying to, the, the thing that creates, that pulls us the wrong way down this rope back to God is when we try and meet all this and be all this and do all this in our own strength. Do it ourselves. And I'm really good at that, man. In fact, I, last night I, I saw myself doing it again. I, I saw, some, I was um, looking at something, you know, and I wanted something. You guys ever want things? I'm the only carnal guy in the house. <laughs> I wanted something, and I, and I don't know about you, but whenever I want something, I, my brain goes, and I start trying to figure it out. How to get what I want. How many of you guys got what you wanted and realized it was the last thing you needed? <laughs> yeah. So that's where we do, it's, it's not, the problem in our life isn't that we have these needs. The problem is that we try and fulfill those needs ourselves. We try and let the job become the fulfillment. We try and let the, whatever, the recreation become our validation. You know, that, that's not healthy. So let's look at Ephesians 2.10. The answer's here. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. In fact, I want to say that to you. I want, I want, we're going to say this phrase. I am God's masterpiece. Okay, I'm going to count of three. We're going to say, I am God's masterpiece. I know you're suddenly going, this feels weird. Get over it. <laughs> Relax. It's okay. But this, this is not a self-help. This is a God-help seminar, okay? So here goes. One, two, three. I am God's masterpiece. Not his refrigerator coloring. He did just scribble some stuff on a piece of a notebook paper, slap it on the fridge with a magnet and say, there's, there's Christy right there. You're his masterpiece. What does it take to create a masterpiece? It takes time. It takes creativity. It takes a deep connection with who you are to move artistically. Art, art isn't about pretty pictures. Art is about saying something that cannot be said in words or music or any other way. Art is about conveying heart to those who see it. And you are God's masterpiece. You, you are God's heart. God's deepest word to this world. Your life is somehow a masterpiece of God. That's beautiful. That's purpose. That's realizing I'm not just on this life to get by until I die, but I'm here to find God's purpose and live and move in that purpose. And when you do that, when you begin to move in God's purpose, God's will, you not only find a freedom, you find an excitement and an adventure. I love life with God. God is a trip. He's he's amazing. Man, you start... You start following God around, crazy things start happening, man. You, you start meeting people that you, didn't, you never would have thought you'd met before. So this Thursday, I went and visited a friend in Casper. He's a pastor friend I met. He lives in Casper. I met him in Missouri. I don't know, oh, not just Missouri, a place called Heartland, Missouri. That's not even really a town. It, it's, anyway, I went there for a conference, and I met a guy from Wyoming. I kind of thought that might be a God appointment. This life with God is a trip. It's fun and it's exciting. And that's what it means to live in purpose. To live in God's purpose. There's so many people in this body 
who seek that purpose out in so, like so many ways. I, I know all the time we're asking for folks to help in that kids' ministry back there. And I know that so many of you have given and sacrificed in that ministry, and I'm so grateful for that. And as I think about it, I think about kids' ministry a lot, and I thank God that he put me here and not back there, but that's another story. (laughs) But I I just realized that how surrendering to the little things often lead to such amazing things. And I also realized that I grew up in a a junior church ministry, is what they called it back then. And, And there are people that spent week after week, month after month, year after year, right? And we try and do it a little bit different here so we don't burn people out. But when I was a kid, it was the same people year after year. They just did it. And every week, I don't know how, they just loved kids and taught them about God. And tried to help them learn the scriptures and verses and the story of the Bible week after week. I mean, we were kind of rotten. And they kept pouring into us. Some of those made a huge difference in my life. I wouldn't be where I am today. I would be nowhere, I don't think, if it hadn't been for those people. God can use you in your purpose. Use you, and your purpose is amazing. You ever heard the story of William Wilberforce seeing the movie Amazing Grace, maybe? You know, he was born to wealth, the wealthy young man, went, went off to college and did everything that you would do if you had a lot of money and went off to college back then. He didn't know what he was going to do with his life, and so in about 20 years of age, he decided he would look into politics because he had money and he was uh, pretty good at speaking, which was the two things you needed to get into politics at that time. So he did that, and he ended up at 21. He ended up in in politics, um, involved in all of that. It sounds like no fun to me, but he he was in parliament at 21. For like a few years, he has all this popularity and power, had no idea what to do with it. Just, just doing it, just in that that cycle, that rut. That's kind of where some of you guys are, you know, I've been there where you're like, I don't I, I, I have opportunity, I have potential, but I don't know what to do. So he had a two-year period he called, self-termed, he called it the great change. And at the end of that two years, that was when William Wilberforce set out to eliminate slavery in Britain, Europe. This took him, oh my goodness. By the way, that was probably spawned by a meeting he had with John Newton when he was about 12 or 13 John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. You never know when one chance meeting might change someone's life forever. So at 21, he's in Parliament, has this great change, and he sets out to abolish slavery. Took him 20 years to win the first battle. 46 years total. Slavery was finally outlawed about three months before he died, or maybe it was three days. 46 years. I read his story, and it, it excites me for England and breaks my heart for America because it took over 100,000 of our sons to end slavery in this country. And, he, and here's one man who saved millions of lives, prevented a war because God gave him purpose, and he knew what he was supposed to do, and he didn't get discouraged, and he waded into it year after year. Isn't that an awesome thing? Your life matters. Your life matters. Don't discount even the smallest thing. Your life matters. Trust God. Follow him. He'll lead you in it. And the last thing I, I want to say is we, we all also want to know why. I know this is the tough one. And I know this is one that I told you before. This is meant to lead us back to God, not away from him. But this is the one thing I deal with most often when I'm dealing with people in regard to faith. Why did God let this happen? If there's a loving God, why is there so much cruelty in the world? And and these are questions that I I get all the time. And I wish there was like an easy answer. And and, and we do a disservice sometimes when we try and give people easy answers. Guys, there's never, there's almost never an easy answer. There's, There's a really good answer, and it's Jesus Christ, but... You can't expect someone who's unconverted and hasn't trusted him to know what that even means. 
And so it's, it's hard to look at the world and the things that are going on, the abuses, the things that are hurting us. And I think we're at a time in history where we're becoming hyper aware of how broken this world is. I think that's going to end up being a good thing, but it's going to be a painful process. Like, like birth, you know, it's a good thing to get a child here, but it's really difficult to get that child here. I think something's being born in our day and age. So there aren't any easy answers, but let me give you a couple things to think about. One, God created the world good. God created the world good. When he got done, he looked at the whole planet, everything was created, and he says, this is good. This is very good. That's how it started out. What changed? Because in the beginning, there wasn't death. There, there weren't difficulties like what we experience today, weren't misuses and abuses and, and those kinds of things. So how did good get evil in it? And that's where we come back to Genesis 3. And we see that when Eve and Adam ate, ate the fruit from the tree and disobeyed God, God walks in the garden that day. And if you read the text out of Genesis chapter uh, 3 and verse 13, it says, The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? He wasn't asking that question because he didn't know what Eve had done. He was asking that question because he was the only one who realized what Eve had done. She didn't just satisfy a yearning that day. Every death, Adam and Eve together, by the way, you can't lay this on Eve. The Bible says Adam was right there. So guys, don't use that against your wife. That's not fair. He says he was standing right there watching her make the mistake, okay? Um, which is another sermon for another time I'd love to talk about, but I don't have time today. When Adam and Eve sinned, they caused genocide, wars, disease. Human suffering is a product of human sin. I know that's not the answer anybody wants to hear. Everyone would really like to think, well, listen, I do good things, so I deserve a good life. Isn't that kind of what we think? I, I do some good things, so I deserve a good life. But here's the thing. You do some good things, good for you. But you're not good. Because to be good, you have to be absolutely good. Like God is good. To be absolutely good, that means you can never do wrong, ever. Like God never does wrong. In fact, he not only never does wrong, he never doesn't do what's right. Did you follow my double negative there? He never doesn't do what's right. Because that's our problem. We, we don't only do wrong things, we don't do right things. And that is the suffering that comes into our world. That's why it is here. And if you look at everything that happens in the world, if you look at the suffering, there's always a human hand in it. Even when there's famine and those kinds of things, those are natural disasters, Katrina, the things that have happened throughout our own country. Even in those disasters, there's always some corrupt human being making it worse. We can't get food to hungry places because of some corrupt politician or because of someone here that won't release it or something like that. Human suffering is a product of human sin. Now here's the other thing. God is fixing it. Oh, got your attention there. Through you. God fixes the world through his son. You are his son as believers in Christ. Do you understand what that means? That's why Jesus ascended. I, know, I bet some of you have thought this before because I know I have. Why didn't God just raise Jesus from the dead and leave him here? It would have been so much easier. And the reason was because when Jesus was on earth, he was just one Jesus. Now, he ascends to heaven, and then he comes back in the Holy Spirit and lives in every one of his children. They become the sons of God, and now the Son of God is two billion strong and growing. Do you see? That's why. And so, I know... I know it's hard to look at our world and look at the suffering, and sometimes it's hard for us to look at it and, and, and even honor God, and, and sometimes it casts doubt. But here's what you need to realize. Let's go back to the cross for a second. Think about the cross. All the world's in sin. 
Before the cross of Jesus, there's no hope, there's no salvation. You, you, there's the law and all those things, but that was, that was depressing. Everyone was suffering, the people in darkness, is what Isaiah said. The people were in darkness. That means they had no hope. So the world was in suffering and in sorrow and in grief. What did God do? He entered the suffering. He didn't just speak over the suffering. He didn't just raise up a prophet to speak at the suffering, condemn the suffering, and try and raise up righteousness, which had happened in the Old Testament. He had done that a lot, but it didn't work. So what was God's answer? God's answer was to stop being over the suffering and to come and enter the suffering and to suffer as we suffer, to endure as we endure, to go through everything you go through in life, the Son of God went through. He entered the suffering. That is how the Son of God changes suffering. You are now the Son of God. He is in you. You want to change the world? I do. I don't know how much God's going to let me change, but I'm gonna, I'm, I want him to use me to change whatever he wants, okay? And I know what my purpose is. I know what my mission is. I'm not going to go into that. But here's the thing. God lives in us, and we change suffering by entering it just like Jesus did. So when we look at this world, how do you enter the suffering, I guess I should say. Maybe I should clarify that. How do we enter the suffering? Sometimes it's as simple as just knowing that they're suffering. Like tonight... April's going to share, they're going to share the movie Priceless. Uh, King and Country, I think, were the main producers on that. And it deals with the problem, the epidemic problem in our world and now in our country of human trafficking. Now let me ask you a question. How in the heck does human trafficking happen in America? How does that happen? I mean, this is, we're, we're the bastion of hope for the world and we have a problem here. How do I connect with that suffering? Well, first I get informed. I find out what's going on. There are a lot of things that I need to get informed about. And let me, let me just give you a little caveat here. I don't expect you to get informed about everything. I do kind of expect you to get informed about something. There's something in your life that God, there's a battle that God wants you to fight. And it may not be human trafficking. It might be something else. It might be lostness and revival, fighting for revival. It might be um, the social issues in our country, the gender confusion, issues of abortion that are being faced. It might be some of those battles. But God has a battle for you to fight. So you start by getting informed. That's the beginning. Another way you enter in the suffering is is you, get connect, you start serving the suffering. So example, in our city we have a soup kitchen. Carrie needs volunteers. The end of this week, right? Carrie? Okay, that guy over there? End of this week? Next week. Oh, sorry. Next week. What are you guys in such a rush for? They're just dying to serve. There, there's a community in Rock Springs that aren't adequately housed and aren't adequately fed. And so every six weeks, we do take a few days to go help them out, but every day that soup kitchen runs. And so another way to do it is to serve those who are in need, to serve those. So April took a mission trip, went down to Alabama to serve those who had been delivered from human trafficking, to teach them about their identity in Christ. She went and she served them. That's the second way you can get involved. You get informed, you can go serve. The third way is radical, and you're probably not ready for it, but maybe some of you will be. The third way is you just go enter the suffering. I read a book two, three years ago now called Under the Overpass. These two young Christian men were trying to understand the homeless problem in America, so they decided to live homeless for a solid year. They, they gave up all their possessions or left them all at home, and they entered the homeless community, and they wandered America for a solid year as home, two young homeless guys. I don't know if you realize the epidemic of teenage and young adult homelessness in America, but it is ridiculous. Take a trip to Colorado Springs. My son lives in Colorado Springs sometimes. The next time you're down there, just take a look at the people working and trying holding up the signs for food in Colorado Springs. Most of them are under 25. That's ridiculous. 
So these young guys, in, better, in order to better understand and to minister to it, they entered into the suffering of homelessness. They wrote a book called Under the Overpass. Fantastic book. Gives you a whole new perspective. If you want to get informed on the situation that's out there, it's a great book. I love it because it's a story. I love stories. I really like pictures, and I like the color. <laughs> Didn't have those, but you know, other than that, it was pretty good. I love the story of Bruce Olson, called, Bruch, called him Bruchko, went to northern Peru, and he entered into the Indian tribes of that country. No one else could share the gospel with him. They, wouldn't, they weren't coming to faith. No one, everyone who had even tried to connect with them through standard means had been murdered, and he went and became them. That is so Jesus right there. That's called, if you ever hear the term incarnational ministry, that's what it's talking about. It's becoming those to whom you're trying to reach. My point is, I know you're like, Michael, how does this answer the question of why? Well, the answers are this. God didn't put the suffering here. We did. I'm not saying that for guilt. That's the reality. Two, he put his son on the planet in you to do something about it. And I guess what we have to figure out in a world that's so broken and it's hurting so much is how are we going to do something about it? I guess my dream for you is, and for me, we just cannot let life live us anymore. These middle class norms and this American way of life, they're dooming people. You know what I'm saying? We're so pulled along by those norms that we don't have time. We don't think we have resources to help anyone but ourselves. And the enemy is always out there to like, oh, you don't have resources for this because you really need that. And and my call to you is, hey, man, yeah, it's a broken world. There's suffering in it. God didn't put it here. We make it worse. But God in us can change the story. And if we began to do things in our life that stopped, that stopped this God as an accessory thing, and what I mean by that is we, we say we worship God, but we're really just trying to plug him into the free holes. You know, oh, I got 15 minutes here. I'll, I'll read my Bible there. I got, I got five minutes there. I'm going to spend some time praying there. I got two, two minutes here. I can call my friend and see how they're doing. Those are great things. I'm not saying those are bad things. The problem is those are all like peripheral things. They're not the focus of the life, your life. The focus of your life tends to be you. When Jesus saved you, he became your Lord and Savior. He became your priority. You may not have understood all of that in that moment. And maybe you haven't entered that moment yet, so I guess I'm being fair with you right on the front end. Being a Christian is about making Jesus king of your life, making him the focus. I'm going to tell you, there is so much freedom when Jesus is the focus. I know what it's like to be drug along the rat wheel in life, to feel pressured and stressed and all the things that everybody else knows about. I know about that. But I'll tell you what I also know about I also know about life in the kingdom, that is love and joy and peace, goodness and faith. That's how I want to live. I don't like being anxious. Do you like being worried? Not me. I'm really good at it, by the way. I have a BS degree in worry. I have a BS degree in a lot of things. I want to challenge you this week. I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you to, to sit there and make some kind of radical life change sitting where you are. I'm, I'm not. I mean, that would be awesome. But I know how that goes. In the heat of a moment, you're like, I need to change. I'm going to change. I'm not asking you to add a bunch of things on your life. I'm, I'm asking something much larger. I'm asking you to dethrone you from your life and put Christ on the throne and him become your focus. I know that's a lot to ask. But if I could be honest, it's not like you're doing that great a job running things. 
okay? Put him on the throne, and then you begin each day, rather than trying to, trying to seek to please God, which is a good thing, why not live your life because God is pleased with you? Our life starts at the cross. Our old life ended at the cross, but our new life began at the cross. And our new life starts every day from a place of, of peace and love, God's presence. And so let's begin to take each day. And here's a prayer. I think I've got a slide for this. Have I got a slide that's got a little prayer on it? Ah, Shazam. That means that's cool. This a prayer something like this. God, please make yourself real to me. I know it's a sound, it might sound like a strange prayer, but sometimes we feel like God's out there and not in here. Awaken in me the ability to see what's missing in my life. Father, here we are. And uh, I, I don't know the spiritual condition of each person in the room. I, I don't, but you do. And I, I don't know how to help. The, I, I know there's a myriad. I'm sure there are folks here who are like, I'm not even sure how I feel about God yet. And uh, so, Lord, I, I pray you show up for him right now. You just settle on him. Holy Spirit, come. Let him sense right now what it is to be in the presence of God. Holy Spirit, thank you. I pray, Lord, they would sense and know and learn that you would be an amazing God to sit on the throne of their life. And they will trust you. And maybe they'll pray something like this sitting there and they'll say, Lord, I repent. I let go of everything that I think is important. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, my part in breaking the world. And I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I hope they'll pray something like that. Let go trust I pray Lord also for the men and women here who trust you Lord I can lead the charge here I am the master of distraction the master of getting caught up in the little unimportant thing Lord I live in a world that is it needs you so badly so I can't look at people and judge them anymore. I'm so thankful that you had mercy on me. And Lord, I ask that you would help us as believers to stop holding back, to stop looking for trinkets in the landfill of life, but to, to turn to you and to go find the gold that's out there in people, to set lives free. And I pray you set some lives free today. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand.